Hello, everyone. Okay. Um, I'm going to adjust everyone's mics a bit. Right, okay. Um, so what have you guys been, what have you, all of you been up to this week? Playing anything interesting? Not really, same, oh, actually, Half-Life mm. 2. Oh, yeah? Um, I played a little bit of it before, but now I've got, you know, much further into it. Mm. It can be very stressful. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, watching, um, playing, watching or playing Half-Life 2 is weird because all of its assets are used in so many other things, like Gmod and things like that. And then you look at them and it's just like, oh, um, well, this is weird. <laughs> Why does it look like so many other different games? Um, so, Hamish, what sort of stuff have you been up to? Um, well, I tend to be very selective with the games I play, so none of the, none of the stuff I've been playing is new for me. Um, but it's mostly just been Skyrim, nice. um, which is, at this point is ancient, but I still love it. Oh, yeah. Especially with all the mods and things you can get as well. It just makes life a bit better, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, Andre, what about you? Well, you say Sky Skyrim's ancient. I've been playing a game even older than that one. <laughs> I play, uh, well, because my computer's utter rubbish, I've been uh, forced to play Commander Europe at War, which came out in 2005. Ooh. Still use the tile-based system that now Civ basically only uses. Hmm. Uh, originally done by Slytherin Games. Oh yeah. Uh, I think the oldest title that I play regularly is Team Fortress Two, and that's a 2007. Um, but uh, I just been in the same boat. I had a horrible crap top that I had for years, and then all of a sudden I managed to get a new PC, which was just amazing. That was really good. Um, well, unfortunately, uh, one of our regular hosts, Nick, isn't in today because sadly he had to duck off to Sydney, which was a bit of a shame. Um, let's see. What have we got in the way of news? Have any of you guys played Mortal? I have. Yeah? My have brothers you? play it religiously. Oh, yeah. Because that's got a bit of... Um, news coming up. They're adding new maps, chat filter, ranked play, and potentially adding modding. Ooh. That would be actually nice. Mm. I love it when games add modding support or just have it on launch. I mean, how many maps do they have currently? Like four? Mm. Something like. Mm. Not a lot. They do get a little repetitive, but uh, for the most part, they're pretty good maps, I think. Mm. Well, the maps that they're looking at are... Um, Theatora, which is a sprawling town and village um, that alternates between crowded streets and more open areas. That could be interesting. Mm. Um, and the other one is Castello, which is a southern European slash Mediterranean castle. Castle keep and walled courtyards. Which sounds like it could be fun. I just worry that it might be a little too similar to the already existing mm. uh, castle map, but... I don't have any images in front of me that I could, uh, could currently compare. Yeah. Um, they're also acting as adding ranked play for a sort of a competitive, which could be interesting, could be scary, I don't know. Um, I find competitive can be very difficult to get into on some of that stuff. Mm. Um, uh, what else? There's a horrible bit of fake news running around at the moment that the original Borderlands is free on Steam, which is tragic, because it isn't. It's only 50% off. I mean, that's still not a bad deal. Yeah, it's not bad. 
but it could it, it was advertised on these websites that I look at as free. Just and just you know, free is just so much more superior than fifty percent off. Yeah, that that's true. It is, except um, for the microtransactions. <laughs> <laughs> Microtransactions. Yeah. DLC. Yet. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it's not owned by EA, so it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but Bethesda's already fallen into this rabbit hole. Oh, don't yeah. remind me. Mm, feels bad. Um, actually, speaking of DLC, um, Andre, I know a lot of the games that you play, you know, are Paradox. Paradox. Yeah. yeah. They have a lot of, a lot. Of yeah. DLC. How do you find that? works with their games? Do you feel like you have to buy them, or are they more optional, or how does that work out? Depends on the game. Like, CK2, most of the DLC that you actually want should just be for free. It's been out for years. So, um, particularly things like being able to choose non-Christian faiths. That should be a basically implemented straight into the normal game without needing to get the DLC. Mm. Little quirks to the religions I can understand being limited to DLC, but you should not have any restrictions as to when or whom you can play in such a game. European of Asalis managed to iron out some of those problems. The difficulties are mainly for that one to do with gameplay, whereas CK2 is more aesthetic aside from just three or four DLCs. With um, European and Fasalis, there's at least five to six different DLCs that you'd need to get in order to make sure that in vanilla, you're not screwed over by the, your nearest faction. Because okay. uh, basically, depending on which difficulty, I usually play on hard because I just find that the AI is not very intelligent. You have basically for every one or two units that you produce, they manage to produce four. Mm meaning that they will f be fielding armies of eight and they'll all be able to get alliances much more easily than you can. Okay. Is that part of because AI just cheats on hard and just spawns in extra units? Or? No, it's because they probably have DLC factors in that actually fix the diplomacy system, which remarkably for Hearts of Iron, well, Hearts of Iron, CK2, well, actually CK2's probably fixed most of theirs, but Europa Universalis and Hearts of Iron have massive diplomacy problems. Um, and you, you're mentioning CK2 there, which is a 2012 game. On Steam, it's still 60 Australian bucks. Yeah. With $435 Australian in DLC. <laughs> yep. And most of that DLC is utter rubbish. Yep. Well, some of it, like I like some of the Norse skins, some of the West African ones, a couple of the East African and some of the Chinese ones. Mm. In all... They naturally appear in the game, but you can't actually use any of those features when you are choosing to play as them. Now, naturally, I don't generally play every single faction in the game, so I just selectively get the DLC I actually want. Luckily, they had a a, um, a sale on last year, so I managed to get a few, with, with my brother chipping in, because mm. bloody expensive, we managed to get for about 140 bucks half of the DLCs. Not most of the big ones, though. Like, I still don't have, I think it's, uh, what was the, something about life, uh, and then also the Charlemagne one, still haven't got that one yet. Mm. And a couple of others as well. So can you just play this game on its own, or do you absolutely need DLC to play it? It depends on how you want to play. So if you want to play, 
especially CK2. If you want to play as, if you're fine with only playing as Christians and only having three kinds of preset faces, maybe up to six, depending on which sort of thing, for your entire dysphora. So Western Europeans all have the six for males and women, each have six different face presets. They have different hair colors and eye colors, but that's as far as the variance goes unless you get the DLC. And uh, you have similar things for... Um, religions are extremely bland in the normal one. Like um, crusades, difficult, you can't really do too many holy wars unless you've got specific circumstances. Then you've got entire issues with marriage and all those other things. Then you, then you have the, some of the sneak-ins from other... from um, missing DLC that cause little issues in the game, like... Um, Particularly with religion things, if uh, you die and your heir is a pagan, then automatically it causes the game to crash. Oh. <laughs> Just a small issue then. Yeah. <laughs> really minor. Yeah, I haven't played without the extra DLC for quite a few years. Mm. So... So some of those were just pure cosmetic ones, and some of them are fixing the game, basically? Yeah, well, particularly with, uh, if you play with mods like uh, the Game of Thrones mods or the Lord of the Rings mods, they actually fix a lot of the problems and you don't need most of the DLC in order to play them. Mm. In the case for some of the newer ones, however, like European of Asalus, it feels really bland without mods, even with a lot of the DLC. European of Asalus has 520 bucks of DLC. Yeah, oof. I mean, basically, in my opinion, the best way to play is if you're in the Americas. Mm. And because Europe is just chock full of other factions lying around the place, there's very little uh, ease to expand and everyone's got various little alliances. Somehow the Habsburgs are best friends with Muscovy. But no, um, yeah, so the Americas or maybe the Far East of Asia or Africa are really good for entertaining gameplay in my opinion because you can just expand before you actually go to war with anyone especially if you've got mods like uh, playing or you use the dlc in order to create your own faction like often like playing as vinland from the early uh, early first millennium um and trying to do a what if vinland actually survived but uh, particularly with hearts of iron that's almost unplayable normally with uh well, it is playable, fairly decent normal game, but you really only come back to it, in my case, because of the mods. Because even with the DLC, the DLC has in some parts fixed the issues, and in other parts they still haven't. Like, um, you have an issue with uh, the latest DLC, uh, I think it's Guns and, uh, what was it, Guns and Boats? And that one was supposed to fix the ship system, and it still hasn't. The production lines are far, either far too slow or far too quick for historical production levels. Like you could make a battle sorry, battleship in the space of a few months, when these things took years. Like the Bismarck alone took, I think, three to four years in order to construct in real life, yet somehow you can make it in about three months. <laughs> Sounds Totally historically accurate. With all of the most advanced sh uh, s um, accessories, like uh, mm. 
500 millimeter gun barrels and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> On the subject of games with excessive uh, DLC, when I was younger, I wanted to, or I thought the Sims games mm. oh, looked yeah. interesting, but the DLC for those is debilitating as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How bad are they? Uh, um, I don't recall. Let's have a look. Um, seven expansion packs for Sims 4. Each cost 40 US. Um, the regular co the total regular cost of your expansion packs is 280 US. Uh, your game packs are 140 US. Your stuff packs are 100, another 140. And your base game is 40 bucks. So you can, you can spend 600 bucks in sales. Yeah, that's just more than I'm willing to spend on one game, I think. Uh, Tell me about it. I think we did speak about um, a bit of DLC before, because, yeah, we did. Mm. XCOM 2, War of the Chosen. War of the Chosen is actually the DLC, but War of the Chosen is what makes XCOM 2. Well, but XCOM 2 has issues where it's, like, when you're loading into a mission, into the actual tactical combat, um, it has a bug in the loading screen which can cause it to go on for several minutes. <laughs> And that bug was never never patched out of the base game. They only fixed it in a sixty dollar DLC. That's pretty uh, predatory, I yeah. think. I bought so when I bought the game on I bought the game and the DLC on sale, and the game was cheaper than the DLC. But now, the XCOM two itself is I don't know why the price is ridiculous here, but it's eighty nine ninety five Australian. And War of the Chosen, which is the bug-fixing required DLC to make the game anything more than a reskin of the previous game, fifty-four ninety-five. You can't touch this thing unless it's on sale, because it's not worth over a hundred bucks mm. of content. It's good, but it's not worth that much. And, ugh. What about something like, uh, something more recent from Paradox, like their Stellaris that they've been doing? Have you guys played Stellaris? I played a fairly large amount of that one. Because mm. I've played it, I've enjoyed it, but I've only got uh, Utopia on it for the DLC. Yeah. And I've been looking at the others you know, on sale, but I'm just not sure if they're worth it. Like, you've got Apocalypse and Megacorp. And uh, from my understanding, Megacorp in my opinion, hasn't really added anything to the system that I personally find all that important. Mm -hmm. uh, my brother gets most of the DLCs anyway because he's the main player for it. But uh, yeah, most of what I've found with Stellaris is that there's quite a lot of issues, particularly with the speed at which you can actually progress, which they have been trying to fix in the most recent patches by just slowing down the rate that your enemy or other, other factions in the game actually... Um, expand which I don't find I find that's just sort of a cheating because mm. you're meant to actually be competitive with these things previously in the past they were overpowered because they just expand so quickly that you wouldn't be able to keep up You're yeah like, even I, if you I did unlimited cheats you'd they'd just build up fleet after fleet after fleet and send them at you because they've taken over a third of the galaxy already mm. but in the current one sometimes they they are very, very slow. It, even surveying systems, let alone establishing outposts. So um, 
they probably should actually make, and I play on the hardest difficulties. I I just find the AI is not intelligent or doesn't give me a challenge enough if I do it on the early, on the small ones. Also play with very large maps as well. Basically, the only way I've found with Stellaris to play it properly is with mods, because then I like the aesthetics of some mods, uh, particularly for ships and various race aesthetics. Like, um, Imperium of Man I like to recreate uh, mm. from Warhammer, but uh, then you have various things like the Traditions Tree is tiny, absolutely tiny, and how they still haven't fixed it, I don't know. All you need to do is expand it. Mm. God. Make it better. Yeah. But, uh, what sort of expansions would you want to see? Well, for Stellaris, probably have it so that you can actually start off as a primitive civilization. Because uh, you will actually encounter primitive civilizations in Stellaris. And you will see that over time that you have special events that take place that you can see if you're observing them, whereupon they progress into another more advanced form of society until they themselves become an actual advanced enough to have a spacefaring empire. It would be interesting if you had a DLC that would allow you to start off, off as a primitive or maybe also start off as a fallen empire. I'm not too sure if they've allowed the, that one, but that is one that I'd really like to play as because you would have all the limitations of those sorts of empires and potentially being attacked immediately by an even larger empire. Mm. That certainly sounds like an interesting concept to add. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised they still haven't done it. It's been out for years now. It'll be a yeah, $40 DLC or something stupid. Uh, 40, you mean bloody 65. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. All, um, pretty much the entirety of the Stellaris DLC is on sale for half price or more and still 119 bucks. Ugh, which is just all sorts of fun. Anyways, uh, we should probably go on to a music break before we just keep on talking for the rest <laughs> of the show. Um, so, you've been listening to Tune FM 106.9 and the Unix Radio Show, and we will be back shortly. Tune FM, the leading cause of heart attack in old people. Tune FM, real youth music. Yeah. 
Welcome back to the Unix Radio Show on Tune FM 106.9. And Hamish, you said earlier that you play Fallout. Is that right? Uh, yes, I've been a pretty avid fan of Fallout ever since I picked up. Well, not ever since I picked up, um, but my first game was Fallout New Vegas. Yep. Um, and I've just sort of fallen in love with the aesthetic of the series. Um, mm. Sort of. Uh, I've played played four, and um, I plan to eventually work my way back, uh, much like I'm currently doing with the Elder Scrolls. Oh yeah, uh, and eventually play the original two. Hmm. I've never touched the original two, and I've played a little bit of four. Not much. I don't actually own it. It was just off of a friend's machine. The only ones I've got are um, Fallout Three and Fallout New Vegas, which. It's weird because I, I I always see these people having massive arguments about which is better. It's like they're both good games. Can we not just like them? Well, the argument stems mainly from the fact that they were made by well Obsidian and Bethesda. Obsidian and Bethesda, and mm. that the hate you can see between some of the fans runs very deep. And mm. it reached its peak in '76. Oh, I think that was just a general disappointment. Oh, my, to, uh, my brother. Seventy-six. My brother wasted. Uh, I think it was a hundred and thirty bucks getting the 
pre-release of Fallout 76. Oh, feels bad. <laughs> yeah, and, and and remember, they had the bug in there so that when they started off and they did the full-on patch of 40 gigabytes, and then the early one, he didn't have any problems with in the other case of uh, the game actually causing the computer to crash. <laughs> well, you see, Fallout 76 was, you know... Just a disaster from the moment they... Um, oh, my brother denied storm. about it for about a month. Oof. <laughs> yeah, Fallout 76 is the perfect example of a absolutely mishandled premise. Mm. Um, I can't speak for the vast majority of gamers because I don't know the vast majority of gamers, but I have wanted... Um, I guess the best way to describe it would be co-op or mm. small multiplayer in Bethesda games. The yeah. ability to... Uh, have your friends join you in an adventure. Mm. Um, I a bit feel along like the lines of the way Borderland has it set up, perhaps? Ve- uh, that's actually not a bad uh, bad comparison to make to what I'm thinking. Uh, I think the idea definitely lends itself to Skyrim and the Elder Scrolls. Yeah. The idea of uh, you know the classic D&D party, stuff like that. Which is what they were marketing. Mm. Um, really? Is that what they're, something that they're trying to... They'll go mar- for yeah. They're marketing various uh, clans and groups to be collect. To if you look at all the adverts that they had coming out, you always had a group of survivors from the vaults that are taking pictures together with the various kills, <laughs> forgetting of course that every single person that you interact with that isn't trying to shoot you in the game or isn't a robot mm. is uh, well another player, and you don't have any NPCs that you can actually interact with. Yeah, the NPC thing was probably one of the biggest blundering points because what I was sort of talking about, the co-op, is being able to explore that world world, Mm. with friends. And love or hate Bethesda, they do make a decent world. Oh, yeah. Um, But when you take the NPCs out, when you've got no story, there's nothing to share with your friends except Mm. for some random encounters. Yeah. And Bethesda's broken games. And and it got worse by the fact that I'm not too sure whether they've fixed it yet because my brother hasn't been playing since, the, I think, since early January. But apparently they had a glitch with the... Or they failed to anticipate that uh, 2018 would end. So on the 1st of January, when the clock struck for the beginning of the new year, the nuclear silo stopped working. Oh, yeah, I remember. They had a <laughs> stack overflow or something, and the main endgame system just broke. Uh, then again, in their most recent update for 76, um, somehow, I don't know why, there are now certain areas across the map that if the player enters, it's a kill box and you die. Ooh. Just areas of the map are now kill boxes, which is, I don't even understand how you managed to get that far. Well, you still have a problem with Fallout. It's just from disaster to disaster. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you still have a problem still in Fallout 4 with um, if you have a corrupted save, and they still haven't fixed these problems, if you go to certain areas in the map usually related to bodies of water, it'll cause your uh, game to crash, hmm. and you cannot fix it. <laughs> you have to remove the game entirely and then wipe the computer before it starts, before you can actually play the game again without these game-breaking bugs. Oof. I am so thankful I have not encountered that. I haven't even heard of that. I've had it three times. <laughs> Good oh. Lord. That's some dedication, playing it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember, I started... I got the game, I think, early last year. So these, these issues have been around 
even very close to now. I just don't play Fallout 4 that often. Mm. Nowadays. <laughs> Never even finished the bloody campaign. Yeah. Not that I wanted to. My brother's already done that. Mm. Dare I ask what faction he picked in fear of starting a flame war? Uh, he wanted... Well, understand, my brother, he prefers the um, Brotherhood of Steel. Good man. Quite frankly, none of the factions are all that... From what I can tell, none of the factions are all that good to support because Minutemen are irritating. The Brotherhood of Steel are hypocritical. And then nobody, and I mean nobody, should ever support the Institute. They are monsters. Mm. I mean, you've got the... What was it? The Capital or something from the old games? Uh, capital Wasteland. No, yeah. no, no. The faction that, that, that was oh, there. Oh, uh, the Enclave? Yeah, the Enclave are more redeemable than the Institute. That's a hefty accusation. Yeah, but at least they actually plan to repropagate the planet. Whereas the Institute plans to replace everyone with synths. Mm. And what's going to happen? Because they've already got terrible breeding rates, and half of the people, if not most of them, that you see in the Institute itself are synths. To the point where they are interacting with synths, mm. as though they are their own family. Synths? Mm. Uh, um, you know data from Star Trek? Yeah, yeah. Basically that. Okay. The whole plot of uh, Fallout 4, well, not the whole plot, but it hinges on the Institute replacing people replacing with people with robotic duplicates which uh, at the point of the game uh, have are advanced enough to be almost indistinguishable from an ordinary human being like Zuckerberg <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah Oof. Um, yeah like but um derailed them entirely yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't know what to say in response to that but um, yeah the um, you are right when you say that the institute isn't very redeemable um, especially when you start looking uh, deeper into it mm. um, the, like they, they all of the super mutants that are in the mm. capital way sorry not capital wastelands uh, the Boston area yeah, they are all created by the Institute. They are not any of the super mutants from anywhere across the rest of the no, Americas. No, no, they're not, not, uh, not a part of the Master's old army. Yep. The Institute is just responsible for... So many monstrous well, I was going to say, like, 99% of the things wrong with the Commonwealth. Like, they're the reason why the Minutemen failed. They're the reason why uh, Diamond City is extremely xenophobic. They're also the reason why... Um, uh, what's it? Uh, the guy who's uh, the brother of the synth mayor, um, the, the the ghoul guy. Oh, Hancock. Yeah, Hancock himself. The main reason why he set up his own separate area is because of the synths replacing his brother, and then uh, trying to then just so that they could control Diamond City, and then fueling the. It, the issues between them and the ghouls in order to make sure that they don't have a united front and then thus can't prosper properly. Mm. So that they're easier to deal with. See, um, I'm just going to bring this back to a point that Hamish made before. Is like, Regardless of um, what you think about Bethesda and their games and things like that, they can make a world. Mm. So, you know, you guys can go on for ages about <laughs> all these little details and the inner lore of Fallout and things like that, which is awesome. But I do like it when they also make you know yeah. a quality game as well. I would just quickly say that um, both Bethesda 
and Obsidian make good worlds, but they mm. definitely have different... Storytelling uh, ability. I was going to say sensibilities. Yeah. Um, Bethesda fo- likes focusing on uh, the apocalypse. And the spectacle. And the spectacle, but the apocalypse of the post-apocalypse, mm. um, which strains a little bit given the 200-year uh, gap. It's also weird that in Boston, all of the NPCs that you fight sound like they're Bostoners, but none of the NPCs that you actually properly interact with sound like they're from Boston. <laughs> Fair point. Even the main character. Hmm. That's a good point. Ah, saying something about Boston now, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah, weird that they sound like they're from California. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. So... Have you gone back and played New Vegas in 3? I have. and I have as well, yeah. Okay. One thing that I discovered a while ago is this mod called um, Tales of Two Wastelands, which oh, yeah. puts Fallout 3, the world of Fallout 3, into New Vegas with New Vegas mechanics and tweaks a few things to make them line up nicely. But the nice thing is, is that um, you can choose to start the game as Fallout 3, but in the capital city, in the DC ruins, there's actually a new train station. And if you can hop onto that train and go to New Vegas and start the game there with your character already built as is. And I think it's got a power scaling system. I'm not sure. I'd hope so, because that sounds like it could if create f- all sorts of balance issues. Yeah, if you finish one game and go straight into another. New Vegas is designed around the idea that you will have to go around the map Mm. Um, because if you try going straight to New Vegas you'll go right through Quarry Junction and Mm. get slaughtered yeah Um, but if you can already get levels from Fallout 3 you could bypass a good chunk of the map yeah Yeah, the best of the mod options that I thought of until Bethesda closed it down prematurely was uh, the uh, modding crew that planned to transplant or copy over New Vegas and put it into Fallout 4. Because the Fallout 4 engine is a lot better than the old ones. It's just that you have many features removed between mm. the games. Same engine. But the story, the story itself was supposed to be preserved and they'd just change around the landscape. But yeah, you'd lose half of the dialogue options, but that would be a very interesting sort of uh, game to play because... They are on the sort of on the right track with the the gameplay. People like the gameplay. The problem is everything else is the issue. They, the Fallout series has always had well the first person shooter ones. The first two are top down, but the Fallout series has always had clunky yeah. gunplay. Oh, it's, it's massively clunky, especially Fallout Three in New Vegas. Because mm. at least with Fallout Four, you can actually shoot the target and it fairly good chance it'll actually hit it. Fallout 4 fixed a lot of the shooting issues. Mm. Um, It's just a pity that that seems to be at the expense of a lot of the RPG elements of the series. Mm. Um, But here's hoping if they make a fifth one, they add a bit more of the RPG back in. Yeah, well that was something that um, I found interesting, because I watched this fellow who played a lot of the older Fallouts played Fallout 4 and just, you know, did a little bit in 76 to review it and things like that. And people were asking him, why are you using VATS in 76? You know, you can just shoot things. And he said it's a real shame that Fallout 4 went where it did and 76 went where it did with that because it taught people that you didn't need VATS. And then he said, you know, if you just go 
like build a really high luck character and use vats, you basically just kill everything because you're getting critical hits every shot. And yeah, I do like the the idea of having smoother first person shooter, but vats is also really fun as well, and I like the idea of that system. Vats is a pretty uh, important part of the series. It's so um, iconic. Mm. Um, but especially for New Vegas and 3, I've always seen it as something of a crutch for yeah. the shooting mechanics. That's true. Also, the lack of ability to actually run. Because it takes forever to walk anywhere. Yeah. It's even worse if you get crippled in the middle of the Mojave. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that <laughs> sucks. Do you know, oh, well, you know, you're screwed. Just limp your way away now. Can you even jump? It's been a while since I've played that. But what in uh, uh, New Vegas? Vegas. Uh, can you actually jump? Uh, sorry, not jump, but um, teleport uh, to. Yeah, the you can. You, it does have fast travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can fast travel if you're injured. Injured if memory serves. Mm. Yeah. And if you're over encumbered, you can get a perk that lets you fast travel when you're over encumbered. Yeah. Long haul, I think it's called. Yeah, something along those lines. Anything that added extra carrying weight was just the best. Yeah. Which is... Carry weight is something that I've, I've re- learned recently is a massive pain in 76, isn't it? Because yeah. things are really heavy, including... Um, what is it? <laughs> pins, yeah. Bobby pins weighing about 10 times their actual real-world weight and things like that. To the point where the guy got... Uh, got constantly trolled and messaged by various people. They even gave him, I think, it was a box of pins and told them to message them back how much the box weighed. (laughs) (laughs) Oof. Carry weight is such a esoteric, not, uh, that's probably not the right word, but such an interesting, uh, such an interesting thing that so many games have. Hmm. Um, A lot of games combat that by just having infantry slots is mm. how much you can The carry. Deus Ex series did that really well. Yeah, um, I liked how Deus Ex did it. And the, Beth- uh, the Bethesda <laughs> games, um, people have talked about how the weight is meant to be the mass of the object plus how bulky it is, mm. um, which may be a bit of a cop-out. Um, but I, I get... Um, like the, the inventory system in so many games, I, I understand it, um, but like it's a love-hate thing for me. I love the fact that you can just carry so much stuff, and I also mm. just I hate the hammer space aspect of it. Yeah. Though, if you're going to complain about Fallout 76's weight things, you should also talk about New Vegas's, because mm. it also has carry weight for things like money, bullets, pins, <laughs> the pins... <laughs> Only in survival mode, if memory serves. Yeah, it's only in survival mode. And to be honest, the last thing you want to be talking about is... A th- not sure if Fours was any better, but New Vegas's survival mode was the worst. Only yeah. way Oh, God, that was terrible. It's like here, you know, you can have higher difficulty or you can have survival mode. All you got to do is everything weighs stuff now, which is a pain. And um, you got to you gotta fill up two bars, like, semi-regularly, or two or three bars. That's it. That's also, the entirety of survival. Also, between Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, did they switch their, how they weighed things? Because I believe in New Vegas, everything was in pounds. I'm not entirely sure. There I'm not sure if they had units in. A lot of in. changes between 3 and New Vegas. I'm not um, sure if they had units in. They specifically used things like weight, of, like pound weight, so imperial measure. Hmm. Imperial measure. Um, 
measuring systems. Yeah. I'm not too sure whether they had that with Fallout 3. I believe they used the Kilo system. Uh, and Fallout 4, they definitely had kilos. Well, in... Um, I think 3 had pounds. Did it? I'm, I'm not sure. sure. I, I thought it was just a decimal system, not a... Um, the real imperial. question is, is nuclear war enough to stop the imperial system? <laughs> no. no. It's, <laughs> it's more of the fact, was America willing to do it in the alternate timeline? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I know the British are still supposed to be using it. Uh, besides the fact that our government keeps on telling us, follow the EU way. Hmm. Well, um, technically, they're all supposed to be metric. Well, technically, in the in Britain, everything's supposed to be measured to the imperial system, but they also have to additionally convert it into what the the measurements of the imperial system into the metric system as well. Except for imperial and metric don't really line up. Yeah, that, that's why it's weird. Because you measure it in the imperial system, but then you have to convert it into the metric system as well for when you do all your paperwork. Measurement systems the, the are amus- a band-aid. The, we just need to tear the imperial system off. <laughs> the oh, amusing thing I find about that is yeah. that um, with the metric system, they, we actually have a definition of what a kilo is, what a meter is. They're, they're all very specifically defined um, oh, it's even more specific with the imperial system. Oh, no, the imperial system is now, it used to have definitions. Now its, ac- its definition is just a conversion ratio of the metric system. I th- believe that's sort of depending on which sort of country you're in or where, where you are specifically. I think the U.S. one is based off of a conversion ratio to the metric system. When you mention the very... Uh, when you mention how specific the metric system is, are you talking about like how a meter is now... The distance a light travels in a certain amount of Yeah, distance. how they define it off of physical constants. Like, for instance, the definition of a kilogram was these like was this rod kept mm. in a bank vault in France. But they didn't they didn't know if the rod was changing weight because they had copies of it all around the world. They'd bring them back, measure them, and they'd weigh different amounts, but because it was the defining unit, they just had to say the Kilogram They've was changing. That, haven't they? They've changed it now. Now it's a certain number of cesium atoms in a sphere yeah. of pure cesium. I do find it interesting how we've gone from gaming to uh, imperial and metric. metric. This happens this all the, the time. Show, right? <laughs> this, this is, is what happens. This is what happens. We go on such random tangents. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the weight of like money. Money, and we've talked Legal about gender. Interestingly, <laughs> actually, there is actually a a. You're no. only allowed to have. I think it's 10 times the coin's face value before it's not legal tender anymore. So you can't just give someone a bucket load of five cent coins and say, here, I'm paying for my McDonald's. There is actually a limit to how many five cent coins you can pay it once with. Is that in Australia? Or That's in Australia. Australia. That's it Australia. It can't be America because there's too many stories of people getting annoyed at the DMV and just paying in nickels. Mm. Yeah. I guess it's just a convenience thing. Like, no one wants to have to count through that many five-cent I mean, imagine if you're working at a servo or something and someone pays $60 worth of petrol in five-cent pieces. You would hate them with a vengeance. Oh, yeah. Mm. Learn to hate the echidna. So so if you give someone five bucks worth of five-cent, ten-cent, twenty-cents, or fifty-cents, anything over that in those coins is not legal tender anymore. You actually can choose to not accept it. So it's not a case of you you can you're not allowed to. You can just say, please don't give me five bucks in fi- in five cent coins. 
I'm not accepting it. <laughs> Pay me in something else. That's a, that's a lot better. I like yeah. that uh, it's the person being paid's choice. Yeah. Um, just a flat law seems a bit bit well, excessive in that situation. It's not a flat law. It's you know, it's up to whoever's getting paid. <laughs> I find the amusing part is is that it, it also extends to the one cent and two cent coins, which aren't in circulation but are still considered legal tender. Like so you can't, are? yeah. So yeah. You, you can't pay someone more than twenty cents in one or twos um, anymore is not legal tender. I haven't seen a one or two cent. My mum actually has a whole years. load of those. Yeah, because mm-hmm. uh, she, my family, well, her family used to. She was born in Australia, then they complete, then they used to go back and forth and back and forth because it was the 70s. Mm. So she has a whole lot of one cent coins. Nice. Yeah, so that my mum's um, got a whole coin collection, which includes one cent coins and two cent yeah. coins and pennies. You should get, and that, <laughs> should get those coin collections checked out because some coins can be very rare and worth, you know, worth more than their face value, basically. <laughs> that's all <laughs> I can say. More than a one-cent coin. That's well, I remember going through France quite a few years ago, uh, uh, just shortly after, I think it was about four years after they brought back, the, well, brought in the euro, mm. and you saw francs all over the place. Yeah. Uh, like, walking down the street, it's in a bit of a gutter. Yeah, hopefully somebody hasn't uh, tra- attached the loo to it, because they all do it in pits over there. But... Uh, yeah, you find francs all over the place, or at mm. least you did back then. Probably it's, euros now. That's something the that's ex- really the most. Um, the coins that are worth the most in British currency, at least, are any of the Commonwealth. Sterling. No, it's when the World War. Just before then, they had a brief period where I think it was King Edward was on yeah. the throne for about six months, and that currency is worth a mozza because it's yeah. in between those two different monarchs. My favourite one. Three monarchs, because you had his father, George V, then Edward, then... Then George VI. But that six-month period where it was Edward, those coins are worth a mozza because there's only a limited number of them around. My favourite one is, um, for a while, um, the, um, the coinage that was printed for Australian coins and the coinage that was printed for, I believe... Indian was printed on this on similar design of mints and they would do printing for us they would do um, making coins for us they would do making coins for them that yeah but there's a there's like one or two runs of coins so like a couple hundred at most which were printed with Australian plates on one side and Indian plates on the other (laughs) so they're they're two different coins you know depending on what side you flip it to and those are worth a mint Mm. oh boy those are worth a lot Um, and other flaws like that any sort of mistake that was made or something like that can often be worth so many millions of dollars of worth of $50 notes that have spelling mistakes (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, that was painful to see that so you want to talk about Doom I think we did bring up Doom yeah I think we might talk about Doom after a quick music break Ah. So that we can refresh ourselves from monarchy and currency. <laughs> go, back, <laughs> go back to games after that. Um, so yeah, you've been listening to Tune FM 106.9 and Unix go on a tangent again. And we will be back after the break.
Welcome back to the Unix Radio Show on Tune FM 106.9 and Hamish. You're going to, you know, finally get around to talking about Doom with no random um, interruptions. Yeah, that's <laughs> weird. Yeah, certainly striking while the iron's hot with Doom. Mm. Um, so what is Doom? Tell, please explain, how does one Doom? <laughs> um, doom, I would say, is the video game equivalent of a death metal album. Um, very intense, very violent, but uh, in my humble opinion, a very great experience. Mm. Well, everything that I've heard about Doom so far has been, it's, you know, a blast from beginning to end and has, you know, basically whenever I see a review about it, people are raving about the score, the mm. soundtrack for it as well. It's also one of the very few Bethesda games in recent years that hasn't been filled with complaints. <laughs> I would um, I would throw one of my favourite publishers under the bus and admit that that's because they published it. It was developed by uh, id Software. Yeah. Mm. Explains things. <laughs> it is actually losing one of their head um, designers, which is sad. But um, that's a tangent that we won't go on. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> Why is that good? Because otherwise we'll still be here till we're finished. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> terrible, isn't it? Um, so it's, is it more of a, like one of those tactical shooters where you're hiding behind stuff and shooting around corners? Absolutely not. Um, a cover-based shooter is the furthest thing from Doom. Um, the player character, the Doom Slayer, is, um, highly mobile, usually heavily armoured, depending on the difficulty you play at. At higher difficulties, you will go down quite quickly. Um, but the general strategy to staying alive is to dodge enemy attacks rather than stay behind cover because the enemies are quite agile as well. And uh, if, you, if you stay in one place, they will make very quick work of you. Um, they, okay. even, they even mentioned such in the loading screens. I think... Um, I think the, the flavorful text is uh, Hell Devours the Indolent. Which uh, That's sort of quite the warning, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, it will. It, they will chew you up and spit you out if you don't get out of the way. Especially mm. since almost everyone that's there was previously killed by the opening of Hell and is now possessed. Yeah, fun. If memory serves... Um, and they did it deliberately. Mm. <laughs> if memory serves, uh, the the player character is one of four still living humans on Mars at the beginning oh, of the game. No, he's not even a human. He's at in the 2016 version they rewrote his backstory. Argentinian, I believe. Yeah, he's mm. an he's not he's actually a di from he's actually a race from a different dimension that was previously infested by hell and is now part of it. Oh, okay. The uh, the, re the rebooted uh, backstory goes into a fairly deep rabbit hole. Actually, yeah. um, there's uh, we haven't been told much, and I'm mm. really hoping that the upcoming sequel, Doom Eternal, sheds some light on the Slayer's background, um, because the theories are crazy. Mm. Like they're um, all over the place, but. Uh, quite an interesting read well, we do actually have a lot of understand understand i haven't really heard about this for at least a while but 
there is a lot of uh, fleshing out of his backstory. It's actually for all there. You can see it. You just don't have it directly from his perspective, but you do mm. actually have the history there. It's within the Slayer's Testaments yeah. found I, uh, in the Hell levels. Yeah. I personally prefer the old version of Doom Slayer, where he was a human that somehow didn't get killed immediately and then had to survive a demon-infested wasteland. Well, wasn't the original uh, Doom Marine sent to investigate? I believe so. After the Hell Portal had yeah. already been opened? Each of the different ones, I, I believe most of them have the same character except for Doom 3. Mm. We don't talk about Doom 3. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason they had to reboot it. Uh, <laughs> what a reboot it was, though. Um, yeah. so, here's, so here's something amusing as well, okay? Um, Doom was made in 93, okay? By a Mormon. Yeah, so it's made in 93... It's set in 2019. <laughs> 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 so, what, uh, what was he taking time zones from? The bloody, uh, what was it? The Jetsons? You, um, you heard it here first. We're, you know, we're about to be invaded by, <laughs> by hell. Well, it's even worse if you think of Blade Runner because that's set around now as well. Yeah. See, the thing about these ones that you know go into the future, they needed to go a lot more than you know. 20 years or 50 years into the future. They need to go a long time into the future so that by the time that those movies were, you know, set, comes around, they're either non-existent or they've come true. <laughs> well, you've got cases like uh, the 2000 A Space Odyssey. I wouldn't be too surprised that because of that film, Hal didn't come into existence because people are too bloody terrified of it. Mm. Hmm. AI is probably a rabbit hole. Humanity doesn't want to go down. Indeed. Yeah, well, that's the issue with it, isn't it? Because you get these scientists who, you know, they look at it and they say, what can we do? And leave the questions of what shouldn't we do to other people? I think bringing it back, Doom uh, Doom 2016 is the first bit of media I've seen in a while that has an AI that isn't completely evil and out to get you. Well, isn't it a human that programmed his mind into a robot? Uh, no, Samuel Hayden is a human brain in a rather large robot. I was oh, no, talking about it, it isn't even a human brain anymore because he discovered that even the human brain could... If you, if you have even one human organ there, they can possess it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an electronic brain that he's programmed himself into. Hmm. That, would put, that would put the human population of Mars well. He's not human anymore. Which is something I believe he references. Call, I was about to say, calling the, uh, calling the Slayer human, that would put the human population of Mars <laughs> down to two then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Fun. Um, but, so the one thing I have to question is, why would you change the backstory of a character you know, who's, like, Doom is Doom? Like, mm. I know that Doom it, doesn't have much in the way of story, but why would you change it? Not much in the way of story, but I understand what, talk, what you're talking about because Doom is a very influential series mm. for early games. Um, yeah. And I can understand that there would, would be a lot of um, worry about changing a character's backstory. Um, but I think it was um, in, an, in an attempt to work the Slayer in to hell a bit more, have them interwoven. Okay. And that they'd be more terrified of him. Mm. Um, the the Doomslayers, uh, the Doomslayer has now reached pretty mimetic levels. Mm. Um, you know, local man literally too angry to die. Sort yeah. Of stuff. <laughs> um, which wasn't really the case in the original games. 
Mm. He like he clearly wasn't happy that the demons were there and he slaughtered them all, but there wasn't that intimate connection um, that the, the Doomslayer from 2016 has. Especially with destroying the bastards. Mm. <laughs> um, I feel like 2016, the reboot, takes itself a bit more seriously, giving mm. the Slayer a more of an emotional reason to hate the demons Hmm. Um, with the Slayer's Testament uh, or the in-game backstory explaining uh, that he lost uh, his son in the initial skirmishes with the demons Um, and and then he sold off his entire world sold off his world in the hopes of getting his son back and then he killed his son yeah the demons brought his son back but not uh, well not as a human not as a not as whatever uh, Argent Denurian yeah um, and so the betrayal is what fuels him. Um, whereas uh, the first game, it was just... Survival. His survival and kind of his job. Um, the second game, if memory serves, ends uh, with the implication that the demons killed his pet rabbit. Hmm. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you look at John Wick and, you know, they <laughs> killed his puppy dog, so... Yeah, flops it. Yeah, the demons killing Daisy... Is is a decent decent explanation, but uh, certainly certainly a bit of a less serious one. Mm. Yeah, the big problem will be for in the sequels if they do have them, because they it's already edgy. What do sequels tend to do? They either tend to make it dumber or they tend to make it more edgy. Mm. And how edgy can you go from here without it be making it too edgy? Um, that's a very good question. Um, from what I've seen of the gameplay of Doom Eternal. Um, they are probably going the more edgy route. Um, they've showcased a few of the new kill moves, um, and they are quite brutal. It's yeah. not so much with the gameplay; it's more to do with the story. Ah, well, I mean, I mean, I don't know if they've had much in the way of story reveals. It's more just look at this. You've got a shotgun that you can use a grappling hook with. To yeah, I mean, that's the main face blast. Someone. Yeah, it's not to do with the gameplay that I'm most concerned mm. of. It's mainly to do with the story that yeah, they yeah. try leaking in because that will affect the game to some point, mm. especially if they try to make it actually a part of the game properly. Mm. I feel like they understand that story isn't Doom's thing. It's but this is Bethesda 2019, not to Bethesda 2016, when they still release <laughs> decent games. I guess it depends on how. Or they um, released Fallout 76. Yeah, <laughs> that 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 took a lot of people's faith out. I think it. Or really, Wolfenstein, the new versions. Oof. I think uh, it depends on how uh, hands off they've been. If they let it do what it wants to do, I think they'll. I think it'll be all right. Yeah. Um, although while they probably will go a bit edgier, uh, especially given taking the uh, the setting from the impersonal Mars to the very personal Earth. Mm. Um, some of the gameplay they've shown, um, I'm referencing one particular uh, kill animation, seems like they might be taking a bit of a bit, bit light-hearted. Yeah. Um, it's still violent, mm. but uh, it's slightly uh, slapstick I'd I have to say the best of both worlds would be if you had the option for a future one where you had both kinds of dooms uh, doomslayer where you had the classical one who actually survived on the base and then you also have the modern doomslayer and you could have a co-op of 
having both. Of them. <laughs> That's that'd, be, that'd be fun because you'd have the different game sort of style. Because the original one used the guns more often than the new one, where you're encouraged just to smash things in. Because mm. mm. uh, it would be interesting if you had that sort of difference between the two. That would that be an interesting way of changing the dynamic, making uh, especially uh, you would. It's not like Freddy versus Jason where you have the personalities there, <laughs> but it would be interesting how you just have those two not talking at all, but just working as a co-op team, just taking well, I mean, out all the bastards. The Doom Slayer has a lot more personality than people, yeah, uh, give him or mm. people assume. But you he has don't want to give him too much mm. talking, otherwise you ruin the character. I don't think you should give him any talking at yeah. all. That in fact, one of the few things that I'm worried about in the upcoming yeah. uh, Doom Eternal is the fact that he now reacts in pain to being hit. Oh, God. Which ruins the whole uh, silent, vengeful man walking through fire to attack the demons. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Um, but he does have a personality despite never saying a word. Um, <laughs> a really good example is the collectibles you see in Doom. Uh, 2016 uh, various little skins of a little uh, Doom figurine like the um, the little chibli things you can buy at GameStop yeah and, and, uh, and EB Games um, and the one coloured like him he has this uh, little bit longer animation normally he'll just pick it up look at it put it away um, the one that's coloured like him uh, he l- picks it up looks it up uh, and then moves his arm rotates his hand and fist bumps it <laughs> you That's know cool. S- you know the sort of game that I'd really like uh, in the style of Doom Slayer? Warhammer 40,000 Chaos Gate remake in the style of Doom Slayer. Or oh, of Doom. Where you have an Imperial Guardsman having to survive a full chaos incursion. Well, there's one issue with that. You wouldn't survive, you of wouldn't course, survive but that. imagine the if he was <laughs> a, um, what do they call it? A blank. So that's. Uh. He would, so you would be able to punch him without any problems, but, and they wouldn't like his presence, or maybe even a, um, yeah, well, that sort of well, stuff. Well, I mean, given the law behind blanks, wouldn't the demons just tear him apart anyway? No, they can't. Oh. They literally cannot stand their presence, and they have no. So a demon. Have you read Caiaphas Kane? I have not. He actually interacts with a greater demon of Slanesh. Sorry. A, a uh, demon princess or demon prince of Slanesh, and uh, she cannot corrupt him because his bodyguard Jürgen is a blank. And when she tries to hit him, it's like normal flesh. And also within the sort of bubble, she's weaker, and he can actually do realistic damage. Hmm. Hmm. And <coughs> in another case, he's uh, attacked by a. Uh, Chaos Undivided, or interacts with a Chaos Undivided Warlord who's managed to use godly infused charisma to corrupt entire um, entire covens of Sisters of Battle and take entire worlds to lead within his warband. But he can't corrupt Caiaphas Cain, the hero of the Imperium, because his, his dog's body is a blank and he's standing right next to him. Mm. Well, I mean, that just makes me wonder why everyone have been port in the Imperium, so long as they're not they a do. They all have mm. blanks. Um, question for me <laughs> and Jen. <laughs> What's a blank? So in 40K, um, there are people who have a higher connection to the warp 
which is like an underlying Psychic. spiritual, but also emotional. Um, it's the force. <laughs> kind <laughs> of like. It's the, the force f- was on crack. <laughs> <laughs> it's the force crossed over with uh, Professor X and various other extremely <laughs> overpowered crack. abilities. I'm just, I'm just hooked on force on crack and that'll work. <laughs> so these people who are more connected to it are called psychers. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side of the spectrum, there are people who either have less or no connection to this uh, emotional gestalt of mm. the 40k universe. They, in fact, cause an actual black hole within the warp presence of their local area. You're so yeah, it's like that you know plot thing from Rick and Morty. It's like you're so stupid that you know you exude it around you. <laughs> Not dissimilar to that, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, particularly in 40K, if you have a whole load of, particularly when they're capturing demons, what they do is that, depending on how much they trust them or their state of being, they usually lock a, they get them in a box, uh, the demon in the box, and then trap uh, or tie blanks to each side of the box so the demon can't escape. Mm. The demon is, cannot escape from that area, uh, from that field, because if they try pushing against the walls, they they uh, weaken severely to the point where they may cease to exist. Mm. And just to explain uh, that connection, the demons of 40k uh, hail from the war, mm. uh, from this sort of gestalt of... of so surrounding them in light blanks uh, light disconnects them yeah, from it. Um, so a, a being made of, of warp stuff uh, is uh, far more threatened by a blank than a human psyker is. Okay. The most that a human blank will affect a normal human, aside from extremely powerful aliens uh, or extremely powerful psychers, whereupon they'll give them a headache, is that they just generally don't like their presence because mm. they just feel unnatural. Um, and given what the warp is in 40k, they kind of are a little unnatural. Mm. Um, the and only humans have them. Mm. The warp in 40k uh, is not just an absolutely messed up hellscape. It's also the only afterlife they technically have. Okay. Unless they've got a very, very powerful god that'll stop them from being eaten there. Um, but there are some, I think there's some law or implication in the law that blanks, um, because they lack this soul. Well, they lack a soul because they don't have this connection. The soul in 40k is essentially a reflection of a person's being in the warp. Okay. Um, not that. Uh, a soulless being is any worse off in that universe because most others will die horribly uh, and unless they are saved by a powerful being the absolute um, reality tumors reality, I was going to say the absolute <laughs> just um, typhoon that is the warp maelstrom maelstrom that's a, that's that's a good a word, word mm. will tear their soul Oh, it won't even tear the soul apart. It'll be fed upon by shoals of demons. (laughs) Warhammer is a very entertaining. Yep. And the best option for humanity is a is a corpse sitting on a golden throne that hasn't moved in ten thousand years. (laughs) Sounds about right, to be honest. (laughs) And Uh. was such a bad parent that half of his children rose up in rebellion and joined chaos. Oh, one hundred percent of the Imperium Imperium's current problems are due to the Emperor. Uh, no, most of them are actually because of Gilliman. Though that's a different story entirely. Mm. That uprising you're talking about, is that the Horus heresy yeah, or is that yeah. something else? Yeah. Lorgard. It's, it's all Lorgard's fault. Yeah. And Magnus did nothing wrong. <laughs> and Horus was corrupted because of Lorgard. Mm. 
It's all Logar's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I've been looking at Warhammer, not from a lore going so deep into the lore as that sort of thing. <laughs> Although, from what I gather, that's not deep. That's just sort of poking a, the lore. Yeah. Uh, don't go on to the Wikipedia for it because it is a rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, the pages are huge. Mm. Oh, Never-ending information. Oh, I've even contributed to some of them, actually. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> Just uh, so you know, I, back in 2013. I, d- I, did a, I did a good chunk of reading on Adeptus Mechanicus and mm. the various chapters of the Astartes and things like that. Don't read too many of the Adeptus Mechanicus books. Mm. They get very depressing. <laughs> you mean as opposed to the rest of the series? That's why I read Caiaphas Kane. It's the only <laughs> ones with good endings. <laughs> Every, some people survive, mm. and they don't get flayed alive. Mm. So, are you guys more into the tabletop Warhammer or the? Uh, I am not. I can't afford tabletop yeah, Warhammer. Same. I've got a whole load of miniatures. It's just a bugger to glue and a bugger to paint, and the paints cost a small fortune. Mm. Not counting the miniatures, which are probably. A medium fortune. <laughs> 220 times their actual worth. <laughs> Fairly sure Nick said he'd spent several thousand dollars on his I wouldn't be armies. too surprised if I've done the same. Mm. Uh, and I collect Space Marines and the Imperial Guard. Uh, Imperial Guard are basically Starship Troopers from that movie. However, with even weaker weapons. Yeah. Up against the alien from Aliens. I've heard there, <laughs> you know, in most science but fiction, bigger. you know, people using laser weapons are, you know, top dog. But in Warhammer, from what I've heard, they're basically just flashlights. Well, uh, in any other galaxy, in any other sci-fi universe, their weapons would probably be more powerful than any of the weapons that most people have on regular problem is in the case of the 40k universe you need something even more powerful <laughs> yeah it's not so much a situation where like the last gun is a fun meme but it's not so much the actual lore of the gun is that it's weak it's just that the stuff it's going up against is terrifying like, it'll okay. scorch human flesh like no tomorrow the problem is you're versing people with th- three to four inch plate armor that is made out of super advanced alloys that will deflect plasma blasts. Mm. Fun. Joys. Uh, and can survive meteor strikes. <laughs> <laughs> to take it to the chest, sure. Um, the other thing with the, the Imperial Guard, though, is just the sheer numbers they bring to the table. Uh, trillions. Quite, quite literally to the table, um, mm. from the tabletop. <laughs> but in the lore, um, there's a good quote. I can't remember which fictional character it's attributed to, but um, I think a, a commissar mm. of the Imperial Guard um, Anyone who thinks that they're not a threat has never had to run across a field against a hundred. Yeah, and another quote that pretty much summarizes the Imperial Guard is for every one of us that falls, 10 more will take his place. Mm. That's the immensity of both the Imperial Guard and the Imperium. Well, because they're, they're just generic, they're just generic soldiers in that oh, universe, not aren't they? Not even that, half of them are PDF forces that don't even have a few hours of training. Mm. Okay. Um, isn't there a book where they mentioned that the average expected lifespan once put into the field is like 13 hours? Yeah, that was the title of the book. <laughs> <laughs> the, the main character, um, the, the ending is uplifting for the 40K universe. Yeah. <laughs> um, because um, after being sent to the wrong planet um, and just struggling through these horrific situations that the writers put him in, uh, he dies happy that he made it over the expected time frame. 
Nice. <laughs> yeah, this is why I read Caiaphas Kane books. Half of the guardsmen actually survive. <laughs> this is why I'm probably more into the Star Wars and Star Trek. They're a bit more positive. Boss, uh, which ones? The good Star Wars or the not-so-good Star Wars? The best I... <laughs> Star Wars was the original trilogy. No questions there. <laughs> My, um, I've actually got a friend who said that um, the way he gets around the old the uh, one, two, and three for the Star Wars is he just doesn't watch them as Star Wars movies. He just watches them as science fiction and enjoys them a lot more because of it. Because if you look at them from the established Star Wars lore, they're terrible. Uh, I actually don't mind the prequels. Yeah. Mm. Um, I have a problem with the fact that Anakin doesn't really have a reason to, to go bad. Ah, uh, he does have a does very have good a reason, especially reason. when you look at Palpatine has been nip- manipulating him since he was nine years old. Mm. Yeah, but that's and not really apparent in any of those movies. It, it I is very them. apparent, especially when you reach the second one. We'll be watching your career with... Oh, can't and then with the third one, he Great interacts interest. with him <laughs> as though he's his father or grandfather. Uh, as maybe it's because I was young at that period of time, because I'm older than you guys, but... I remember reading all the various books that were coming out. Yeah, it comes from the EU material, but <laughs> you had a lot of the books that were depicting Anakin and his relationship with Palpatine. And this is before the third one came out. I didn't read books about it, though. I watched they were the in the libraries. <laughs> People hate on the prequels, but yeah. I'll, be, I'll be honest. I think um, the first one's the... No, the second one's the worst, yeah. but it also has some of the best scenes in the series. Like, particularly when Palpatine's looking over all of his armies. Mm. And most of the scenes with uh, Obi-Wan, well, pretty much all the scenes with <laughs> Anything with Obi-Wan <laughs> in it. And most of Anakin's scenes in the second one are absolutely god-awful. <laughs> I just like to think of the second one. The, uh, the scene where they like, are taken out into the gladiatorial yeah. arena, that's like the one time we get any actual romance between... Anakin, like that, that kiss is well shot. It's about all we get romance-wise, so I'm just happy well, for that. From that yeah, period, but, I mean, look at it, the third movie. What does the mother die from? Oh yeah, that's a terribly written thing. But aside from that, almost the entirety of the film is actually one of the best in the entire series. Mm-hmm. You've you've got to look at the uh, the great prequels and the OT as the tragedy and redemption of Anakin Skywalker. And not to mention the reason why the prequels, according to Lucas and this is something he was mentioning as the prequels were coming out. The reason why the prequels look so much nicer and more aesthetically pleasing and more advanced than the sequel trilogy... Apart is from the better technology at the time. Uh, well, the reason that they have for it is because the Empire, when it was created, destroyed most of those things in order to reformulate it under Sidious's new empire. He literally called it the New Order. I mean, as reasons go, that's not terrible. It's basically, uh, he particularly studied a lot of how fascism operated, which is why you see a lot of, especially with Palpatine in the third one, you see a lot of references to historical figures from the 30s. I mean, their troops are called stormtroopers. It's not exactly (laughs) subtle. (laughs) Stormtroopen. Yeah, tell me about it. Anyways, we should probably go on to a music break. We're going to have one of our... We're supposed to have these every 15 minutes, by the way. <laughs> we're lucky if we get in for a show. <laughs> um, so anyways, you've been listening to the Unix Radio Show on Tune FM 106.9, and we will be back after this break.
ocean, dirty waste land from the grass. Thou shalt go no further, it was said they shall not pass. The spirit of resistance and the madness of the war. So go ahead, face the land, join the dead, though you die where you lie, never asking why. FM, Voice of the Students.
And we're back. Welcome to Tune FM 106.9 and the Unix Radio Show. And, um, what are we talking about? I forgot. <laughs> we went off on a tangent after... Yeah, uh, Star uh, Wars that we finished with and hopefully something else now. <laughs> yes, um, so here's a question. Okay, so when you guys play, um, when I look at reviews for like the Warhammer games and stuff like that, yeah. they're very all over the place. Well, I mean, the Warhammer games are all over the place. There's a lot of different stuff with a lot of different genres. Mm. Right, you got space naval combat mm. in uh, Battlefleet Gothic 1 and 2. And then compare that to the aptly titled Space Marine, where it's a third-person shooter. Okay. And also Eternal Crusade, where you can do a multiplayer version of that. Mm. Okay, so here's something that I can't easily find on Steam, <laughs> but in my experience is typically better than a lot of different games. What about the mods for other games? Or are there mods for Warhammer games that make them better? There's some really good ones. Dawn of War is a good, uh, well, the first one is a pretty good Warhammer game. And there are a ton of mods for that. Especially uh, Titanium and uh, uh, Apocalypse. Apocalypse is a good mod. Okay. So the base game of uh, Dawn of War. Soulstorm. Soulstorm. I can hardly talk about it because it's been so long since I've played the I, base game. I, I've Are played these, so is this yeah. uh, FPS, RTS? Uh, this is real-time strategy. Yeah. Okay. If you want to ask, uh, I have actually been playing this in the last few weeks, uh, particularly during break. I've played Dark Crusade and uh, Soulstorm. Okay. So is there like a, you know, a one-two combo? Is like get this game for this mod that uh, you would be able to no, recommend? you can actually get them separately or all together. Mm. I personally would... Out of the series, I would get the last three, because uh, Soulstorm, particularly for the mod in uh, Ultimate Apocalypse, is just brilliant. Mm. Uh, Dark Crusade for the campaign, which is fantastic, because mm -hmm. you, you basically play every single faction that's available in the multiplayer or the skirmish. So you've got Eldar, Chaos, Orcs, Tau, all sorts of things. and um, No one wants to play Tao, though. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Though they do have a good strategy if they're starting up because all of the initial units have the ability to go into camo. Hmm. Um, but so you also have probably the best campaign out of the entire series, Winter Assault. So this is, what series is this? Dawn of War. Dawn of War. And they're all very cheap games currently. And they have no extra DLC. Okay, so it's Dawn of War. Is that Dawn of War 1 or Dawn of War 2? No, Dawn of War 2 is an absolutely god-awful series. <laughs> hey, it's better than 3. Oh, that goes without saying. But basically, Dawn of War 2 is um, close to Company of Heroes, but done completely wrong because it came out before Company of Heroes, I believe. Or at uh, least Company of Heroes 2. That's a shame. I like Company of Heroes 2 and 1. I like them both. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, Dawn of War is really good. Though, if you're talking about mods that are not for Warhammer games, but simply add Warhammer to it, well, you got the Total War series, and they have some really, uh, particularly Rome and Med two, Medieval Total War two. Mm -hmm. They have mods for Warhammer Fantasy, and they completely change the game. It's fantastic, the sorts of things. Like uh, they've. They do actually have a proper official Warhammer Total War game now. And the mod from uh, that was started working on back in 2006, 2007 is still better. Because mm. it 
just completely fleshed out all the sorts of obscurities that you find in the laws all there so that's um these are all still rts's yep yeah what about for other genres now i know you know it's still rts but what do you think of the Battlefleet Gothics? Or I haven't really played Battlefleet Gothic. I don't Nor have the have budget. <laughs> no. But from okay. what I've seen of the gameplay, understand I'm not very good at at naval combat. It's mm. not exactly to my forte. I prefer line formations and grand land-based grand strategy. Yeah, all my naval stuff's out of rubbish. Mm. And my, to my brother's amusement, because he's the opposite. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Naval combat for that one is really, really excellent because they get all the accuracy of the various ships correct. Like uh, you have the ability to teleport your your units from one ship to another in order to capture it, mm. and then you once you've captured it, you can then use the various weapons. But you have a decreased amount of effectiveness because you don't have as much crew as you would normally. And would. yeah, yeah. You then ha- also have the ability to ram your ship into another one and cause it to self-destruct. Mm. I did watch a um, a um, introduction, like someone playing the introduction to mm. the Battlefleet Gothic 2. Yes. And um, I absolutely loved it because they're like, oh, I can ram enemy ships to do this quick. You know, as they're about to kill the, um, oh, what's the name of that massive capital ship? that uh, The Black... Um uh, black Fortress? Yeah, one of them. As he's about to ram a black, you know, ram the Black Fortress to kill it, the um, the you know advisor gets on the radio and says, "Oh, by the way, you don't want to be next to it when it blows up because that might be too dangerous." Well, it's, as he's ramming well, it, it's basically a, a Death Star that's far more mobile mm. and can shoot numerous targets, mm. and it isn't as dumb as Starkiller Base. <laughs> I still don't know how the Death Star was meant to move. Uh, it, it actually had a hyperdrive system into it, which Starkiller Base didn't. <laughs> so Starkiller Base was stuck in a planet, in a solar system with two stars. How was it meant to be effective after two let's, shots? Let's not talk about <laughs> the but, um, gaping yeah. plot holes. Black, Blackstone Fortresses, they are basically powered by eldritch, pla- eldritch generators created by a race that predates basically every single faction presently in the game. Okay. Like, you know the Forerunners from Halo? Mm. They're Basically an even an- more ancient equivalent of them. Okay. Like the Precursors from Halo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you had... Um, so do you have any good, like, first-person shooter idea or, for Warhammer, or is that... Well, one that they should... There is one that had a decent idea that was actually done, but was absolutely god-awful in implementing it, which was Fire Warrior. Fire Warrior is where you play as an individual member of the town, which nobody really likes. Uh, and you have to go around facing all sorts of various nasties, like you have to face the Imperial Guard, which is there in droves. You face against Space Marines, demons, all sorts of particular nasties. A game that would be really good is an Imperial Guard version of that if they did it nowadays, using old Battlefront, uh, like Battlefront 2 2005, or old Battlefield and old Call of Duty type maps and gameplay. Modern gameplay wouldn't work because you're a tiny guy trying to survive against everything that the Warhammer universe can throw at you. 
It works better. Modern gameplay works better as a space marine because faster reflexes that you get nowadays works better as a space marine, whereas an Imperial Guardsman is supposed to be slower than everyone else. I think the issue with trying to make a first-person shooting game... In Warhammer is... Well, especially with an Imperial Guard, is that the whole idea of the Guard is they have so many troops, their numbers are overwhelming. And trying to take that into one Guardsman... yeah, it's like the bite of a flea. Yeah, sort of you. I think with that, you might have to, in order to do that for a single player, because I like single yeah. players. So do you, Hamish. I feel like you'd have to bump it up. Well, to they do have um, mega scale. Well, they do actually have um, various forms of the Imperial Guard, like currently called Tempestus Scions, hmm. previously called Storm Shoopers, that have the Laz Gun, which is a very dangerous weapon in its own right, but like a flea compared to everything else in the universe they have something called the hellfire gun mm. which is our it's basically a machine gun that shoots las bolts and can literally melt through terminator armor that's pretty cool and terminator armor all right uh, wait, yeah you you explain terminator armor i'm having difficulty <laughs> um so standard space marine armor is centimeters upon centimeters of thick plates of uh, I believe ceramite ceramite plasteel and adamantium mm. so just some of the, basically layers upon layers of the hardest stuff they can find terminator armor is that times by a thousand <laughs> I'm not with sure if it's force fields and shields yeah it's um just thicker plates force fields as he said um and it's the Space Marine armor. Like, have you ever seen what it looks like? It's big, chunky. It's chunky. Mm. Um, absolutely thick. But um, the Terminator armor is that so much more. It's basically based upon um, a exosuit designed to lift um, great crates, or uh, like the crates that you use on shipping lanes. Those sorts of things were what the armor was actually originally designed before before they used it for military service. Mm. Um, has such an interesting helmet too. Like, um, and so many variants too. Mm. Um, have they ever shown how the marine is positioned inside of it? Because it looks like they'd have to be leaning forward. Yes, they do. Doesn't look comfortable. No, mm. it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> This is something I so something that I've j- just been thinking of now. Um, when you're saying it's difficult to do, well, Warhammer 40k in first person. Well, it depends on how you want to power scale things, and mm. also what sort of unit you're trying to use. Like, they've done Space Marines, but the problem with the Space Marine is it's just like using a Spartan mm. from Halo. You get bored with it over time because you're just overpowering everything, mm. and you don't have the sort of you don't have the energy and the sort of thing that you have, just the thing that you have with Doom Guy or Doom Slayer in mm. Doom. You just have this overpowered Mary Sue going, or Gary Stu, going around killing everything with a massive rocket launcher. Yeah. In a, in If you're using a Space Marine. A Sister Battle could probably get away with it because they're just not as overpowered as a Space Marine. But mm. as I said, Imperial Guard would probably, at least in my opinion, be the best one 
because you then actually get to see the level of horror of the Warhammer universe that a space marine can just bat away. Well, I mean, it's convenient that you brought that up because that's where I wanted to go with this. Mm. Um, I feel like an Imperial Guard would be hard to do for a first-person shooter. But excellent for horror. But for a survival horror game based on, like... Uh, demons. And demons, like... Tyranids. The idea being, like, you're the last... One of the last few survivors on a disabled um, ship. And you have to get everyone else ship. out. That would be a great survival or horror. Or if you're part of an inquisitorial uh, team and you're sent into this horrible area. Like uh, Inquisitor Master. Uh, mm. Inquisitor Martyr, which is another game that's coming out, but in first person. Mm. That's a bit... Um, the gameplay, I've seen a bit of gameplay for that. It reminds me a little bit of Diablo. Yes. So there's this... Um, there's this um, are you guys familiar with the Battlefield games? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, there's this really weird weird ball game in the Battlefield series, which is so rare and obscure that I can't even find it again. I came across it last year. Are you talking about Hardline? No, not, <laughs> not Hardline. It was, That's not obscure, just everyone hates it. Um, basically, it was a Battlefield released for one platform. I'm fairly sure it was a console. And um, the entire premise of it was is that you had the ability to hot swap units on the battlefield. As in, you know, you're storming a building with, you know, just a generic marine. And then you could press a button to pull out of the map, get a top-down view of, you know, what everyone's doing, and then select a different unit and go down into that unit's point of view. You sure this isn't Rainbow Six? No. No, this is, this is, a, this is actually a battlefield game. Oh, it sounds just, like it'd actually be good. <laughs> um, uh, which is something they haven't exactly been doing for the last years. Well, this this isn't this isn't a new game. This is an old. I know. Battlefield. Uh, the, the only good ones are the old ones. Mm. And I'm wondering if that might be something more for the Imperial Guard, because then you can have the grand scale. And if mm. you know one of your units dies, you know if you die, you just pull out, pick up another one, and then you can have the mass waves of just throw bodies at the enemy until you win. Yeah. And you get the different. Yeah, different things, and well, you get the that sort of gameplay doesn't really work with the Imperial Guard because you are that pathetic. You literally <laughs> will be killed automatically. They send them in the millions and get the thousands surviving. Spawn die, spawn die, spawn die, spawn die, and yeah, times that like by ten the spawn rate in order to actually win. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, like the enemy runs out of bullets before the guardsmen run out of manpower. Guys. <laughs> yeah. Russian warfare. <laughs> to give you an idea of, uh, of the Imperium, I think it's written in uh, the guardsman's primer. Um, your life is worth less than your gear. Yeah. Mm. So if you're, um, if you're, like, if something's going so badly that you've given, been given an order to retreat and you see a buddy fall, you're supposed to scavenge his equipment you're, and shoot him You're meant him to grab his gun and run, not grab him and drag him back. I uh, know. Uh, you're supposed to shoot him in the head because that's the, imper that's the Emperor's mercy. But aside Fun. from that, you're supposed to loot whatever you can find that'll help you survive so you can get back to base. Fun. I mean, to be fair, the Emperor's mercy is a mercy in that universe. <laughs> the writers that especially oh, if the so emperor problems. is actually their god that protects them after death which judging from the fact he can summon angels mm. is more likely than not and literal ghost armies it's just, it's just good flavored chaos demons hmm. well um sadly because we you know <laughs> somehow we managed to keep talking forever um 
We're running out of time, guys. Which means that it's plugging time. <laughs> yes, we've got a few announcements to make. Um, first off, Game Site is not up at the Stro this tomorrow, actually. It's not up at the Stro tomorrow. We're actually all going to be attending the Winter Festival down... Near next, Right Center. Yeah, near Right Center. We're going to have the VR, some consoles. We'll see what else we bring, basically. <laughs> because we've got a nice decked out um, tent for this. We might be able to bring down some extra stuff that we normally wouldn't be able to. And it's all right. We're going to have a couple of heaters in our tent, so it'll be nice and warm, and there's free food. Yeah, there's yeah. We charge you a dollar for food. Now you can go and get it for free. <laughs> Don't let it get to your heads, though. <laughs> um, and there'll be snow. There will be snow. There it will be will snow. Be cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and wet and fun. Yep. Um, we are going to be. We are planning on doing a 24-hour games night soon enough um, but more details will have to be announced later as we get them booked out with the Stro um, but for now the best I can say it's probably going to be second week of August for now that's all I can really say um, other than that I think that's pretty much us for the night unless we have anything else pressing that I've forgotten about that's about it. Winter. Yep. Come down to winter, guys. Come down we'll to winter. There. We're podcasted, so if you you know couldn't get enough Warhammer, <laughs> instead of going and looking up anything original, go on to iTunes or Spotify and listen to this episode again. That's that's all you need to do. Or ask us tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> or ask Hamish or Andre tomorrow, because Jen and I know nothing about Warhammer, other than it's a thing and it's expensive. <laughs> um, now with that, I think that's it for us, guys. Bye. We did it. Yay. Bye, everyone. Bye.